That's awesome. I want to thank Steve and Allison for sharing their testimony. They're actually in here. I won't point them out to embarrass them further, but uh, Steve serves in our junior high ministry, and it's been awesome to see them walk the walk over the last year as they're in this journey, and just thankful. If, if that resonated with you and you're like, what is this Financial Peace University? How do I get involved in that? Um, we're going to have another group of classes starting up here in a couple weeks. I think you'll be able to sign up in two weeks um, as we uh, kind of start our next session of life group sign-up, so be tuned into that. We'll let you know when, when those sign-ups are live, but I'm excited to be here. If you're watching online or down at our Parker campus, we're excited to have you here here today. So as we get started, I want to encourage you guys to grab a Bible or Bible app, open up to the book of Luke chapter 16. And as always, if you don't have a Bible, that Bible that's there in the, the seat in front of you, consider that your gift from us tonight. We want you to have a Bible in your home that you can read. If you're watching online, just let us know. We'd love to send you one if you'd like a hardcover. And if you're somewhere cool like Hawaii or Belize, we'll arm wrestle over who gets to come deliver that in person. And uh, I'll try and win because I want to go. But on a serious note, we are on weeks six of seven of our Transform series. We've been going through this series, and the whole idea has been how can God transform all of these different areas of your life to be more of how he created you to live? And, and so that's been our focus for the last five weeks and, and this week and next as we conclude this. And my suspicion is that in most of these areas, when we hear the topic and when we hear what the content is delivered and work through that workbook, if you're following along with us, my suspicion is that up to this point, you're like, yeah, I, I need to be transformed there. You hear about God's design for your, your spiritual health, your emotional health, your physical health, your mental and relational health, and you're like, yeah, like I've got some, some, some room to grow. I could, I could use to be transformed there. But my suspicion is that that stops here, and that the majority of us would hear the topic today and go, you know, I think I'm actually good there. I don't know that I have a lot of work to do. And our topic today is our financial health. And, and as we get into that, I think we have the temptation to think that we do better than maybe we actually are. And so I wanna just, just hit on maybe some, some stats of an average American to kind of work at what's this actually look like? How are we actually doing with this? So I, I pulled some statistics, and I'm actually gonna do a lot of like, I read this study, I did this. If you're like a data like study nerd, you're gonna love it. If you don't, I'll give you a refund at the door and you can just deal with it for the next little bit. But here are some things that I found. So one in four Americans admit that they are regularly, regularly late in paying their bills. 53% of Americans say they live paycheck to paycheck with nothing left at the end of the month. 61% have had credit card debt in the last year. 40% of Americans say that that credit card debt they have revolves month after month in the balance. And 70% uh, have less than $1,000 in cash saved for emergencies. You heard Stephen Allison mention their emergency fund there. If you think that's bad, 45% have nothing at all. Zero cash to their name right now. Similarly, 42% of Americans say they have less than $10,000 saved in retirement accounts. Now, the reason I, I share these with us today is not to, to shame you, not to, to bully you if you fall into those, or not to make you feel better if you don't fall into one of those categories, but to simply point out that in America, we are very tempted to think we're doing better financially than we are. And, and so we're gonna look today at how we can be transformed in our financial health. And so we're gonna look at some teachings of Jesus and say, hey, what's he have to say about this? But as we do that, I recognize there's, there's a tension about talking about money in church. 
And, and maybe you're like, you think? Or maybe you're like, there is? Well, there is, if you didn't know that. And I don't know why it's such a taboo subject. Maybe it's because people are afraid that I'm gonna ask for your money. So you can take your hand off your wallet. I'm not gonna ask you for money today. It's gonna be okay. You're gonna make it through just fine. Or maybe it's because you've witnessed some unhealthy, dysfunctional dynamics in other places where pastors have abused passages about asking for money. Or maybe... Maybe it's because some people think that it's not a topic that the church should talk about. And I've actually heard people say, why do we have to talk about money in church? Why can't we just talk about the things that Jesus taught about? You know, things like prayer and love and faith and heaven and hell. And I go, okay, you wanna talk about the things Jesus taught about. Great, I do too. With that, Jesus taught 39 parables. 11 of those had to do with money. In fact, in the book of Luke, one in seven verses has to do with money or wealth or possessions or our stuff. In fact, when you look at every topic that Jesus taught on, faith, love, serving, prayer, heaven, hell, eternity, all this, the number one topic wasn't any of those that I just listed, but it was in fact money, wealth, possessions, our stuff. Not because Jesus said that was the most important thing, but because he understood that money is entwined with every part of our life and existence. And if we get that wrong, it's gonna mess up everything else. And so he taught on how we can have a different view than the world in terms of our money. How do we not be average? And so I wanna look at, at one of those 11 parables where Jesus taught about money. And this is um, more of an obscure uh, one, probably a parable that you don't frequently run to or, or pay attention to when you're reading, uh, but one that I think teaches us a lot about how we can be transformed in our view of money and finances. So follow along, Luke chapter 16, starting in verse one, says this. Now he, that is Jesus, also said to the disciples, there's a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called to him and said, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm too ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do, so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write down 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generations than the sons of light. And I tell you, Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, you may re be received into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for he will either hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, when we look at this immediately, we might go, wait, what? What's going on here? We're, we're talking about this guy who's literally ripping off his boss to provide for his own financial future. 
And, and I think that there's actually a lot we can learn from this passage. And I actually really love that Jesus taught this in the way that he did. Because I think he's really driving at the fact we might be tempted to think, oh, I've got it all figured out. I don't need to learn. But by posing the parable the way he did, he's wanting to show us that we can learn from anyone if we're willing to be humble and ask the question, what can I learn from this? And so I want to get at three things we can learn about our finances, but first we need to look at three things not to do based on this guy's behavior and action. So the first thing not to do with our finances is don't waste it. What not to do with your money? Don't waste it. This is where the, the whole parable started for this manager because the, the, the boss found out that there was an accusation that he was wasting the boss's resources. And that's what started this whole process because the, the boss immediately said, that's not okay, so I need, I need accountability for what you've been doing and oh, by the way, I need your resignation. See, the, the accusation there of wasting it is exactly what caused the, the issue. And that's because this man had the expectation that the manager should manage it well, should do a good job managing the resources and finances of this person. And what Jesus is wanting to show us in this isn't that if you're an accountant, you should do a good job, but the fact that all of us are in the same role as this person. All of us have been entrusted by God with resources to manage and to look after. In fact, Every single thing that we own, every dollar we have access to, every possession that is under our umbrella of oversight is not ours because of our hard work, our diligence, but because it's been given to us by God, according to James chapter one. And with that, scripture says that, that God has called us to be managers of those resources. So in the same way that this guy was a manager of someone else's money, that is the role that we have in terms of our finances, in terms of the, the life that, that this is for us. So as we look at this, we say, okay, what do we learn from this guy? Well, he got in trouble for wasting the resources, so that is something that we have to be aware of as well, that we have to be conscious of also. And so when we look at this, the fact that this guy got in trouble for wasting money should resonate with us a little bit because whether we like to admit it or not, that's a struggle that we as an American people have as well. See, when I, I, I was preparing for this, I read this study that said 50% of Americans said they didn't have enough money to, to save for retirement. About 30% said they didn't have enough money for life insurance or car repairs or to pay off debt. So this study said, okay, why don't they have enough money to do these really important things? And so they, the object of their study was to figure out how much money the average American wasted. And what they found was that over the course of, uh, of, of a year, the average American household wasted $18,000 a year on non-essential expenses. Now, I'm not gonna sit up here and, and you know, create a, a chart of essential and non-essential purchases. If you're a, a family with young children, Disney Plus might fall into the essential you know, purchase category. But what I, what I bring that up to, to show is that waste is something that we have to be very careful of. Because if we're not careful, we're gonna be in the same place as this manager where God looks and he goes, hey, I hired you to, to oversee my finances and you wasted $18,000 a year. 
Think about if you went to a CPA or an accountant, whatever, and said, hey, I want you to, to completely manage my money for me. And at the end of the year, you got the report and saw they wasted $18,000. You'd fire them. You'd be like, what is your problem? That, you had one job, and you blew it. And if you extrapolate that out over the course of a lifetime, that's over a million dollars that's just wasted. See, God has entrusted the finances we have to us to, to manage them well. Scripture also uses the, the word stewardship, to steward and look after them well. But unfortunately, many of us are wasting it with one fast food bill, another streaming subscription, another 12 Amazon orders later. We're wasting the money that God has entrusted to us. So if you want to be transformed in your finances, first thing not to do is don't waste it. Second thing not to do is don't love it. And you might be sitting here thinking, well, I don't love money. I just, that's, no, I check, I can move on to the next one. Okay, preacher, what's the next one you got for me? I'm good on that one. But the truth is that all of us struggle at some level with the temptation to love money. And Jesus calls it straight out. Verse 13, as you hear, he says, no servant can serve two masters. Either hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, it's super easy for us to get this twisted and get more into this than, than maybe we should on this topic, but we simply need to know that God doesn't want to share our allegiance. Each of us have the choice of what we prioritize in our life, what we're living for, what we're building the foundation of our life on. And if it's about finances, it's about the, uh, chasing the net worth, chasing the possessions, chasing that mythical income amount, whatever that may be, he's saying we're, we're worshiping, we're loving money. And we're going to get to a place where we're not fulfilled in that. We'll talk on that in a little bit. But he's saying, hey, where is your allegiance? Is it with God's or is it with money? Do you love God more or do you love your income, your big house, the fast boat, the, the possessions you like? What is it that you're placing your love in? So don't waste it. Don't love it. Thirdly, if you want to be transformed in your finances, don't place your hope in it. So you look at this story, the man gets desperate. And it's because he had become accustomed to the income, the, the, the benefits of overseeing this man's estate, whatever that meant for him. He had placed his hope in his job, his income, the wealth that he had for it. And so when that went away, he panicked. And that panic led to desperation, and the desperation led to the dishonesty that he managed with. See, the truth is that when we place our hope in money, we're going to be disappointed. It's going to let us down. And we don't have to look far to get evidence of this. See, almost a year ago exactly, things were going great in our country. Everything was perfect. The economy is strong. Everything's booming. Everything was clicking along at a great pace. People were making good money. Everything investment-wise was increasing. And then this little thing called COVID happened. I don't know if you guys heard of this or not. And you even heard it in Stephen Allison's story. They meant, hey, that, that it was just, it was a bomb that dropped in the middle of our situation. See, if we, if we have our hope in our finances, we may wake up one day and see that our income is not what it was, that our investments are not worth what they used to be. And it's gonna be a, a huge letdown. And see, I know Havasu likes to pretend there isn't a pandemic going on. So if we look at another example, you look back to 2008, 2009 with the Great Recession that happened, it was a very similar thing, only on a much larger scale. And 
a, a research paper that I looked at studied what were, the, what were the lasting effects of the Great Recession of 2008, 2009. And one of the things they found in just looking through various pieces of data is that the annual suicide rate in Europe and North America increased four times the normal rate for three years following the, the crash of 2008. What that shows me is that, that we are much more tempted to put our hope and our money and possessions than we may want to admit as a people. And see, God warned us about this in, in kind of a, a cavalier way. In Proverbs 23, 5, it says, In the blink of an eye, wealth disappears. It will sprout wings and fly away like an eagle. If we put our hope in our money, if that's where we place our, our security, our hope, our, our, our hope for the future, it's going to let us down. So there's three things not to do with our money. So what should we do then? And looking at this, looking at the rest of Scripture, Here's three things to remember, three reminders with our finances. First thing to do is to be intentional. See, this guy in the parable didn't exactly respond in the best way. He, you know, ripped off his boss. He committed, you know, probably some illegal activity there in reducing debt. But the thing that Jesus points out there was that he was intentional. He looked at his situation and went, okay, this isn't good, what can I do to plan for the future? How can I prepare myself for that? In verse eight, Jesus points that out. He says, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generations than the sons of light. What Jesus is saying is, lost people are often better at being wise and intentional and planning than the people within the church. Unfortunately, so many of us, whether we're Christians or not, are just cruising along without a plan, without intentionality with our finances. And so be intentional. And the best way to do that is just have a plan. And what that looks like is have a budget. Sit down and say, okay, how much money is going to come into our household next month and what are we going to do with that? At the, at the core level, that is a financial plan starting short-term with the month that you are about to start saying, okay, every dollar that I have come into my oversight, I'm going to have a plan for it and, and execute that plan. And this could be simple with a piece of paper and a pen and just jotting it down on a legal pad, or you can be a nerd with a spreadsheet and graphs and calculations and, and, and all the Excel fanciness, or you can have an app like Every Dollar. Find something where you can make a plan. And then don't just think short-term, think long-term. How do I save to have money in case something happens? Don't be one of the 70% of people that don't have $1,000 to cover an emergency. Don't be one of the people that have less than $10,000 saved for retirement. And you think, oh, a government will, will help me when I get to retirement's age because the government's great at taking care of things and having a plan and executing that and <laughs> stuff. So, yeah, so maybe you have the plan and execute the plan, but be intentional because hear this. You will either tell your money where to go or wonder where it went. Those are the two choices. So have a plan, be intentional with it. Second thing, avoid debt. Now this is one that is probably gonna ruffle some feathers because I actually had a conversation unrelated to this sermon with someone uh, at a lunch appointment this week and we just had very different views of debt. And some of you may be thinking, this passage doesn't talk about debt except for you know, how this guy managed his bosses. So let me read a few passages. I got four passages that directly speak to God's view of debt. 
Proverbs 22, 7 says, the borrower is slave to the lender. I don't want to be slave to anything but Jesus. I don't know about you. Proverbs 17, 18 says, you lack sense if you co-sign or put security down for someone else's debt. Psalm 37, 21 says, the wicked borrow and never repay, but the godly are generous givers. Finally, Romans 13, 8 says, we're told to know, owe no one anything except to love one another. Those are some of the, the very obvious kind of black and white examples in scripture. There's a lot more that are just allusions and kind of references to debt. And here's the thing, not a single passage in scripture references debt in a positive manner. It's never listed as a tool, as a benefit, as a, a resource for us. It's always listed as a trap, as a, a, a burden for us. So why do we do it? Well, because we've grown up in a generation, in a, a society that says debt is a tool. Debt is how to leverage your income. Debt is the way to get ahead. Debt is the way to, to get to where you want to be faster. I've also been told that debt's the way that you buy things. It's how you go to college. It's how you buy a car. It's how you buy a house. It's, heck, how you buy cell phones these days because they're so crazy expensive. How's that working for us, though? Well, one in four can't pay their bills on time. 53% of people are living paycheck to paycheck. 70% have less than $1,000 in cash. So I'd say it's not working super well for us. So what if we were the people that said, hey, we're gonna be transformed, we're gonna do something different. We're gonna take this to heart and say that the borrower is slave to the lender and we're not going to pursue debt. If we can't pay cash for something, we're not going to do it. We're gonna take the debt that we do have and pay it off. We're gonna work through that and, and say, hey, we're gonna leave that life behind and start something new. Because even if you look at it from a, a, a simpler perspective, you say, okay, I'm gonna commit to not waste the money that God has trusted me in. Well, the average American spends $8,000 a year in interest payments. So over the course of someone's working lifetime, it's about $400,000 paid to make some bank or institution wealthier than they are right now. That's a giant waste of money, if you ask me, because if I'm gonna give $8,000 a year to something, I don't want that to go to a financial institution that already has a massive building in downtown Manhattan. See, if we want to, to follow God's plan for our life and finances, we avoid debt. Finally, if we want God to transform us in this area, we need to focus on increasing trust and not wealth. We need to focus on increasing our trust, not wealth. See, it's easy to slip into that mindset of thinking that, that money fixes our problems, that money makes us happy, that if we can just get that next raise, reach that new income bracket, get to that next milestone, then everything will be easier. In, in fact, just, just for a show of hands, so we're gonna do it this way so you get an easy scapegoat. If you at any point, so you can even say when you're young and an idiot, like when you're my age, um, if you at any point thought that more money would fix your problems, you just raise your hand. And you, those of you that laugh know, and you've been there, and it doesn't actually solve your problems. And I, I heard this on a podcast, and I had to go dig into it because it was fascinating. There's a Princeton study that actually wanted to answer this question, does more money make us happy? And so they spent years digging into this question. 
And so the thing they were trying to find out is, is there a correlation between household income and day-to-day happiness and contentment and your overall like life assessment is what they call it. Basically, like how well am I doing at life? And they dug into this, thousands of interviews and research and stuff, and they actually did find a correlation. They found a correlation between an increase of household income and an increase of day-to-day happiness and life assessment. And you're like, see, I told you I just needed more money. But hear this. They, the, the increase of happiness stopped at $75,000 a year for a household income. And above that, there was zero correlation in more money and increased happiness or life satisfaction. And see, so many people, if you go, hey, how much money will make you happy? They always do some kind of six-figure income. It's always 100K plus a year. They're like, if I could just get this, then everything will be great. But a secular study said more money isn't going to make you happy. And they even admitted in the study, like those that were lower in that income probably answered the way they did because they were more burdened down with extra jobs and trying to kind of dig out of holes that they were in and stuff. And it wasn't necessarily their income that gave them the answer of being less satisfied than just their overall life situation. It's almost like Jesus knew what he was talking about when he said that debt, that money, that all this stuff wasn't the thing to pursue and that we can't serve two masters. See, when we we look at this, if we want God to transform our life, we need to work on increasing our trust, which is, I think, exactly why God instructed and commanded us to tithe. So you look at the, the Old Testament as God's people had left Egypt and were kind of preparing to go into the promised land as their own nation. God gave them a list of instructions. And in uh, Leviticus chapter 27, they're instructed to tithe. And a tithe was an instruction they got to give God back 10% of whatever increase they had, whether that was a financial increase or the increase of their crops or whatever they considered as income. And a tithe was literally translated as a is 10%, giving 10% back to God. And I say give back for a very important reason, because again, we talked about James chapter one, everything comes from God. We're not saying, hey, God's asking you to take 10% of your money and give it to him. A tithe is God saying, hey, I've given you all of this. You get to keep 90% and give 10% back to me. And again, this is, this is one of those touchy subjects in church, but understand that that you don't tithe because God needs your money. God didn't tell the, the Israelites wandering in the desert to tithe because he spent a lot on travel expenses, getting them out of Egypt and like needed to rebuild his, you know, his cash reserves. It, God doesn't need your money. Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. God doesn't need your money. He owns everything. He's good. So that's not the reason. Also, the church doesn't need your money. See, you may be like, well, but, but you need the money to do all this stuff and, you know, have the lights and the air conditioning. Air conditioning's really important here, so we, can we have that, please? It's true that, that God uses tithes and offerings to support the ministries of his church, but God is faithful. He will provide for his church whether you're obedient or not. So don't tithe because the church needs your money. So why should we tithe in? I think there's two big reasons. First, it teaches us to be generous. The heart of God is a generous and giving and compassionate heart, and we by nature are not any of those things. And so by tithing, it's our first step of saying, hey, I'm going to be generous. I'm gonna practice giving the resources that I have away. 
so that when I see other needs and opportunities, I'm more ready to do that. But the second and biggest reason to tithe is because it forces you to trust God financially. We want to look at our resources and hold on to them with closed fists and only give them away to the things we want to do because we think, hey, I've got to be in control. I've got to dictate how all of this stuff happens. And God says, hey, tithe so you can transfer that control to me. So you can say, hey, God, I trust you. I'm going to literally give resources away to show that I trust you. And he actually, he, he understands that this is hard for us. And he, he even gives us a test, a challenge. In the Old Testament book of Malachi, we're given a challenge. In Malachi 3.10, it says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and therefore put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. God says, hey, you can actually put me to the test here. If you're obedient go ahead and mark down and see if I don't bless you in a way that blows you away. Now, I'm not saying if you drop a 10 in the, the offering box today, you're gonna go out to the car and find 100 on, on the passenger seat. If that happened, we would be a very popular church in this community, let me tell you. But what I am saying is that if we're obedient and trust God financially with our tithe, we're gonna see him show up in our spiritual health our physical health, our emotional health, our mental health, our relational health, all these things for the last five weeks we've been talking about how can we work and, and live in a way that allows God to transform us. God says, I'm going to bless you if you trust me here. So that's my challenge for you today, is to, to, to look at your finances, not in a way where you say, hey, I'm, I'm great, I'm average, I got everything figured out but in a way where you say, hey, I, I need God to transform me here. And the first thing I need to do is work on trusting God with money more. Trusting God more than uh, I'm, I'm looking forward and, and hopeful for that next raise or that commission or the next bonus or the next stimulus check, which is a whole other topic we won't get into today. Will you trust God more than those things? Because God's saying, hey, I, I wanna work in your life. I want to bless you, but I need you to be obedient. I need you to trust and that's our hope for you today, today as a church as well, that, that you would see God work through your finances as you work on trusting him and walking in obedience to the way he has called you to live in this area. Would you join me in prayer? God, we, we love you. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for the fact that you sent your son Jesus to save us, to to make it possible for us to, to have a relationship with you. And God, as part of that relationship, we don't want anything to hold us back from drawing close to you, from living the way that you've designed us to. So God, if we need to, to change something in the area of finances in our life, God, please make that clear and abundant for us. We don't wanna be in a place where we uh, are, are, are ignoring your instructions and command. So God, we just ask for help in this. Help us to not be average. Help us to be transformed in a way that, that we can live different than the world around us, shining hope, shining inspiration because we're following your plan. Help us to be people of generosity, blessing and helping people as we have needs so that we can better reflect your heart of giving, of grace, of generosity. God, we love you. Help us to love and follow you more. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.